comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The world we know is gone. No Netflix, no iPads, no Instagram, no podcasts. In a world ruled by the dead, we are finally forced to start living. podcast this is episode 85 what's the name of this episode jordan clear clear i'm joined obviously by jordan i've got jim deets and i've got russell latham with us how you guys doing tonight pretty good a lot better than morgan was (laughs) oh my goodness gracious poor morgan so good to see morgan but uh i actually didn't expect to see him like that but some crazy morgan is better than no morgan at all Amen, brother. Clear. Tell me why it was called clear. Because that was what he had uh, written all over his walls and what he was doing with his life. He had dedicated his life to just clearing that town of zombies. Setting up traps. They come in, they get trapped. He takes them, he burns them, he clears things. I like it. That was that was creepy, seeing all that stuff written on the walls. Yeah, I'd freeze-framed a couple of times just going through. You know what, I... When uh, when Carl and well, I'm sure we'll get to this, but um, well, maybe we should get to it then. Yeah, well, I'll just save it for later. Yeah, you're right, Jim. You're right. It's so easy to not go linearly when you're excited about something. Yeah. So, what do you think about next week's episode? Have you seen it already? No, it was a non-linear joke. I know. I'm just being silly. So the clip though, the clip was. Have you seen the the clip they played during Talking Dead? I won't spoil it, but uh, it was tense. I did not. I think I might know what it is, but I did not see it. So the answer to your question is no. All right. Did it involve uh, two people? Two people and three eyes. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I'm looking (laughs) forward to next week. It does look good. Uh, Before we jump into the synopsis, uh, let me just go over real quick. We had a couple of new iTunes reviews, and we haven't had any in a while, so let's just get those out of the way. Uh, Wild Branch says, love the podcast. All the hosts work well together. Very informative and entertaining. I enjoy listening every week. Great job. Thank you, Wild Branch. Uh, He says, excellent podcast. That was five stars, by the way. Uh, Mike Gollyhue, forgive me if I ruined your last name there, says, a wonderful podcast about a wonderful subject. The hosts are great, well-spoken people. Wonderful five stars. Thank you, Mike. You guys can leave us an iTunes review if you want. Good or bad, either way, we take them all. Jordan, uh, why don't we just jump right into this and get started? All right, let's do this one. Episode uh, number 12, season 3, is entitled Clear, like we talked about before. Uh, we pick up 
pretty much right where last episode left off with the Rick storyline. We got Michonne, Rick, and Carl, and they're driving down the road in their beautiful Hyundai. And uh, they pass a hitchhiker who yells for them to stop, and they completely ignore him. Uh, they keep driving down the road where they find kind of an impromptu roadblock of wrecked cars. And uh, so they go off in the shoulder to get around the cars and kind of stop as they see a zombie trapped underneath a truck and stopping just enough to get them stuck in the mud. So they get trapped in the car by a whole bunch of zombies who come out. They dispatch them mostly off screen. And uh, then they get out to clear things out and uh, create a little bit of traction for the car to get to get free. And this is where Rick and Carl have a conversation about Michonne, where Rick explains, look, she, we're, she's not really with us. She's just, uh, we have a common enemy. We have common interests at the moment. When this is done, she's gone. And Michonne overhears this. Yeah, that was the part that kind of bothered me about that scene, is that he's telling Carl how like non-essential and how not a part of the group she is. And she's listening to the whole thing and not reacting, really. Michonne doesn't react to anything, though. I mean, that's just the way her character is. Until later on in this episode, when she finally starts to, which was a very welcome change. Yeah, um, we'll get to that, obviously. I wanted to comment on the the very first part with the hitchhiker. You know, when they pass the hitchhiker, Carl turns around and looks. I expected some dialogue here, but I don't think the scene could have been written more perfectly by having nobody say a word. It's like, it's understood, it's unspoken, there's no explanation necessary, and I thought it was perfect, the way nobody's had to say anything. I agree, and thank you, Brad, for bringing up the writing, because you reminded me of something I'd forgotten about. Uh, You know, we haven't really gone through, oh, this episode was directed by X and written by X too much uh, this season, something we used to do, but I did want to point out for our listeners that this episode, which I, I think we'll talk about it later, I thought the, epi- the, the writing in general was fantastic, was written, uh, it's credited to being written by Scott Gimple, who is going to be the new showrunner uh, starting with season four. So if you liked the writing in this episode and the impression I got from our Facebook group was most people really did, uh, this is going to be the new guy in charge. So I think that's a very good sign. I, that, it does sound like a good omen for sure. I mean, this, yeah. I thought this is one of the strongest episodes of the season so far. Well, I mean, we'll get to it later, but I thought the Morgan's uh, bigger monologue was probably the most prototypical Kirkman dialogue I've ever heard from the show. It felt like reading, you know, in in the comic you have plenty of zombie violence, but you also have large sections where it's just characters talking and oftentimes soliloquizing like that, and that sounded like Kirkman dialogue spot on, and Lenny James delivered it perfectly, but we'll we'll get to that later on. So they get the car unstuck, and as they get it unstuck, who comes around the bend and starts yelling again? Hey, it's our... Hitchhiker friend, who I took to calling Road Pizza, because that's what it'll be by the end of the episode. Uh, he you know, yells for them to stop, they ignore him, they get in the car, they drive off. So they get to their destination, and we find out where that was. Hey, it's the police station from the pilot. It's back where, or I guess technically sheriff's station, uh, where Rick was stationed. They go to the weapons locker, and they find it completely empty. All that's in there is a single bullet, which Michonne finds on the floor. She gives it to Rick. He keeps it in his pocket. And Rick suggests... Well, we shouldn't make this trip all for naught. I, I was the one who signed the gun permits in this town. I know of a few that weren't common knowledge, you know, one at a bar here, one at a liquor store over there. Uh, maybe they're still available. We should spread out and find them, and uh, we can bring at least something back for our trouble. So they head to the town, 
And this was called, what was the name of the, the town? It was King County, I believe, right? Well, wasn't that the county name? Well, true, but it, even on, like, Morgan's map, everything was marked with, like, KCs and stuff, so it may, I, I don't know how much town jingoism there is, uh, for lack of a better term, in uh, Georgia. You totally made that word up. Jingoism? No. No? No, nope, that's nope. a real word. Wow, okay. I, I don't know how much town nationalism they have. Let's put it that way. I don't know if they identify with their town, if they identify with their county, if the towns are so small or so big that they just pretty much are counties. But uh, everything seemed to be marked with, with King County. So they, 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 get, they keep going deeper into the town. They start seeing, I think, first spray-painted messages on the wall. Some of them they see, some of them we see through the camera. Um, but general you know, warning messages, get out, stay away, I'm warning you. Turn back now. This is your last chance. That kind of stuff. Uh, they ignore them, of course, and they keep going. And they find a town which looks stunningly, or reminded me stunningly, of Ravenholm. Uh, and I think we we talked about this a little bit before we started recording. So I know some of these guys know it. But uh, if you've never played the game Half Life Two, it is fantastic. But there is a section called I think the chapter is called We Don't Go to Ravenholm, right. and it is a Eastern European town that has been transformed very much like King County into a Rube Goldbergian zombie death trap. And uh, I was quite happy to see that. You got spikes everywhere. You got animals in cages to lead the zombies into the spikes. Barbed wire. Um, You couldn't really see it in the episode, but in Talking Dead, they gave you a little bit of a tour. And there's this whole pulley system so that the person in this town can, can transport himself from building to building above the zombies using ropes and pulleys and stuff. It was really crazy. Now, also, they, um, they show on the way into the town a large lot of like what looks like a bombed-out building of some sort with a giant pile of uh, burned bodies. And that's, yeah, that's yeah. where Morgan has been, you know, stockpiling his, his catch, as it were. But they see, I remember they said in the episode they saw that first, and then they came across the booby traps. Right. And was it just me, or did that little lot where all the pile of burned zombies was, did that remind you of the lot outside of the uh, Vatos building from season one? Yes. Had, like, the same archway. I thought yeah. we were yeah. I thought we were going to go back to that for just a second. Yeah, although, I mean, I guess they were in Atlanta proper, so they're, they're not in the same spot. I, it could have been the same um, set or, or location, or it could have just been, hey, that's a very common type of archway to be seen in Georgia. I have no idea. Before we go any further, let me ask you guys. I somehow avoided any spoilers or advanced word about this episode. I had congratulations. No, I, I had no idea what was going to happen in this episode. No idea who we were going to end up seeing. Had had you guys heard any rumor about or any you know idea about who was going to show up in this episode? Uh, unfortunately, yes. Although it didn't really. Sp- Spoil it for me because he was revealed so early on. But we we talked about it a little bit in the spoiler section last week. I think I actually might have cut a lot of it out from the final episode. But uh, it, it had pretty much been confirmed online by the time we recorded last week. But uh, not. I mean, it wasn't a hundred percent sure. But most people were were had a pretty clear idea um, who who pay attention to spoilers that he was going to be coming back. Okay. Luckily, um, well, unluckily, I wasn't on last week's show. Uh, with you guys, but luckily I hadn't heard squat. However, at the beginning of each new episode, they say previously on Walking Dead or whatever, and this week it showed Rick having a you know the conversation on the radio, and that enough like from season one or what 
that was hint enough for me as to get a really good idea of who what was going to happen this episode. I thought it was a good choice, though. Sometimes when TV shows, and in Lost did this, Walking Dead's done this before, lots of shows do it, they, they will give away way too much in that little clip. I thought this was a good choice where if you really know the show like we do, okay, sure, I can definitely see you know somebody like you, Brad, um, picking up where they were going. But simply because they didn't show Morgan, and he, I don't think he ever says Morgan's name in the clip, it was just, hey, I found my wife and son. It could have been, and I, I say could have been in quotes, um, just an innocuous, hey, here's a catch-up on what happened in The Walking Dead. He found and found his family, if you haven't seen the show before. Um, I thought it was innocuous enough that it was a good choice, even though for someone like you, Brad, it did give it away. I would agree um, with that statement. Yeah, it, I can see how it wouldn't give enough away, but, you know, having read the book, we were all expecting to see Morgan eventually. Uh, and why why show that clip of him on the walkie-talkie now where they haven't in previous episodes you know several previous episodes so anyway i was i, I was happy but you know obviously wasn't 100% sure i just had a feeling but um, right right i i thought it was a poor choice i mean i had heard the rumor and we talked about it but showing that walkie-talkie scene at the beginning i thought i i don't think it added anything and we're being trained as TV viewers, especially with cable, um, FX, AMC. They're all very good about the previously on having something teasing what this episode is going to be about. And I know some of it is, I think maybe to their credit, um, these cable shows are typically 10 to 13 episodes per season. They only show up once a year. So something in a, in a five, six season show that they're going back to in season one or two, people need a refresher. But I think this was kind of a cool reveal that if they wouldn't have put that spark out there, I think people, it would have had a greater impact in the show. And I think it, it, two things, right? The clip at the beginning wasn't enough to give, if, if you're a casual viewer or just starting, wouldn't, wasn't enough to give you any kind of context as to what was going on. And two, if, if you, if you have been, been paying attention and you have been watching it pretty avidly, then when Morgan showed up, you knew who he was. So I, I just, I don't think it was one of those dangling plot points that they needed the, the previously on clip to, to highlight that. But that's, that's just me. It's hard to say. Do you think a viewer who didn't start watching with the first season and we we know there are those types of viewers, and I'm sure none of us understand how you could start watching this show or several other genre shows like this without going, like starting without having watched the first season. Oh, I just started with season two and I figured it out. I've right, heard right. people say But that. that is the majority of television watchers. They'll watch an episode here, an episode there, yeah. but they do not watch straight through. I don't understand it either. Yeah, and, uh, you know, God bless him, I love him, but even Frank will do that. He'll say, I didn't see that one, the first two episodes, but I, I saw the previously on at the beginning of the third episode. And so I'm, I'm pretty sure I understand what's going on. You know, I, cu I couldn't do that, but I'm pretty sure the majority of people who didn't watch the first season, if they hadn't provided even that little bit of a clue 
at the beginning of this episode, when it came time to introduce Morgan, and then later on we hear him say, I turned that walkie-talkie on and you weren't there, they would be like, what, what the hell is all this? You know, if they didn't, if they hadn't seen that previously on bit, that was just enough for them to accept it when they reveal Morgan if they hadn't seen the first season at all. Well, it's kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. If you don't, then the people who didn't see the first season who have jumped on board since aren't going to know who the hell Morgan is or have any context for him at all. Uh, and if you and if you do, you tip off people who watch it every single week religiously like we do. So, I mean, it's kind of a no-win situation. So I'm wondering maybe if, for the good of all humankind, if maybe they should just stop giving the previously on bits at the beginning of everybody's uh, each new episode? It's just one of them things in TV. I mean, while we as podcasters and, and you know, long-time watchers of the show might find it annoying, I think for the majority of watchers, it's still something that they kind of need to provide. And it's dumb, but it's I think it's true. I mean, I'll play a little bit of devil's advocate arguing against my own point. I think at times it can be valuable. I think with some of these shows, when there's an obscure character that... Or an obscure moment, maybe there's a plot point, something that they discuss, like characters discussed um, early on and then shows up later. I think to give you that context is kind of cool if, if, if there's not like a surprise reveal. Um, you know, a, a general recurring character that shows up, you know, three or four times in a season or shows up a couple times a season but is, is semi-regular, I think the you know the previously on bit to kind of reorient you for what's to come is valuable you know i think the thing with morgan is he's kind of like been like merle you know, for a while we we kind of thought he was coming back we just didn't know when he was coming back and so when he did come back it was you know you kind of want to be surprised at it and especially you know the other thing they go out of their way at the and i know we'll get to it in a minute here but they go out of their way of making sure he's completely covered. You can't see who he is. Um, he doesn't really speak or he's yelling. Through a mask. So um, he doesn't rec- Right. And he doesn't recognize the characters that are on, you know, the Rick and, well, he he wouldn't know Carl. And, and you can't see his skin anyway. color either. Right. So they go out of their way of... of disguising him so the so the viewer is supposed to be surprised, but yet they ruin it for... I would say the majority of folks um, in the previously on. So that's, you know, it's, it's, it's just kind of one of those weird deals. Like I said, I think it can be used effectively. I think in this instance, they used it to spoil something that could have been a better reveal. Something also to take into account during also during the previously on, they showed the clips of, you know, Carl taking care of Lori when, you know, when it was her time to go. So that kind of also cemented why Carl was so obsessed with the photo later in the show. So, yeah. Now that we beat that horse to death and beyond, no, it's a good, it's good discussion though. You know, no, I, sure I totally agree. People are saying, you know, and having said what I said, there are times when I'm very thankful for that previous on because, like you said, I may have forgotten an obscure thing, or especially in the case of Lost, you know, when, uh, you know, in season five and six, when they would show a previously on, they'd show a flashback or something from, or a clip from like season two or three, and I'd be like, oh yeah. You know, so sometimes they're helpful, and then I guess you just got to roll with the punches, you right. know? 
So like we talked about a little bit before, uh, you know, they get to the they get to the section of the street where it's all these traps. They start ducking around them, uh, watching out for trip wires. They duck under barbed wire, and then a zombie comes up behind them. Not not directly behind them. It's not like a, a jump moment or something. But it comes up behind them. It gets tangled in the barbed wire and then gets shot in the head. Uh, and they see the shot comes from up on the roof where, they, like we said before, there's a masked man. He's got an automatic rifle, uh, from what I could tell. And he's taking out the zombie. He tells them to drop their weapons. Uh, they don't necessarily refuse, but uh, Michonne says she thinks she can get to him. So they scatter, uh, and the man starts shooting. Rick fires all the bullets in his gun. He ducks down behind a car and takes out the one extra bullet he has, which is the one Michonne gave him from the, uh, the floor of the sheriff's station. And when he jumps up to shoot the man, he has disappeared. And Michonne is up on the roof now. She can't find him either. So they, they get back together on the street, and uh, the man's about to shoot Rick when Carl jumps out and shoots him right in the chest. But when they, uh, when they go up to him, they find out he's wearing body armor, so he is not actually dead. And when they pull off his helmet, it is known none other than Morgan Jones, who we last saw over two and a half years ago in The Pilot. Okay, so the first thing I thought of when I saw him was... Other than, oh, right, that's awesome. It's Mad Max. No, how's he been cutting his hair? Shouldn't he have an afro? (laughs) Maybe he just shoots his hair off. He's got enough guns. That was a stretch. I'm sure he found some clippers or some scissors. He seemed to be pretty well stocked. I'm sure he could, he probably has a generator or two. And, uh, you know, he set up enough traps. I'm sure he can find a way to cut his own hair. Yeah, I guess you're right. I just thought it was funny that that was the first thing I thought of. You know, because when we saw Morgan in the comics, his hair was much, much longer. And so I, I suppose I was expecting to see that. Gotcha. The only, the thing that was odd, too, or I thought was funny, not odd, was he had wood armor. So it wasn't even like he found bulletproof vests and stuff. He He actually, you know, manufactured this plating to put under him. Um the thing I found odd was the fact that this gunshot wound to the chest knocked him out cold for so long. I just thought that was a little strange, and I don't know if they were trying to imply that part of it was he was knocked unconscious, but part of it was um, maybe his mental state. I, I don't know. It just seemed a little unnatural that he would be knocked unconscious from a from a gunshot wound that was non-penetrating to his to his chest. Maybe he hit his head when he fell. Yeah, but he had a helmet on. You can still get a concussion. Uh-huh. It's just gonna. It would have been. It would have been funny if they'd had that Hanna Barbera sound effect. You know, like the hammer on the anvil, the clang. If he had when he had fallen, that would have been awesome. <laughs> that would have been funny. I thought it was interesting in Talking Dead. They were talking about how they actually, the writers had wanted to get him back last season to do. I don't know if it would have been the same story, but to pick up with his character, and uh, he's just such a busy actor. They couldn't actually get him to do it, so that's why it took so long. Well, it was funny. I was seeing kind of on Twitter, there's a lot of people saying, oh, you know, he's he's a way more interesting character. How come he's not been on, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, the dude's busy. I don't think it's because, you know, the producers and Kirkman and Mazzara didn't want him on the show. I think, like you said, Jordan, he's he's just a busy guy. And he's, I don't, I know he's British, but I, I think he actually is based out of London. Like, I don't think he's based in the States. Um 
So that may have something to do with it as well. I really, I really would like to single him out too before we even get to the meat of his performance. I mean, I thought he was really brilliant in this. I mean, that the monologue that he gives later on and just you know getting, I mean, he out crazies crazy Rick. I mean, who, that's a pretty big accomplishment in in and of itself. So, what is he on? Um, like, is he on a series over there or something? Um, he's. I know he's a big character actor. He's been. He's been in just a ton of like if you IMDb him, he's just been in a ton of stuff. He was on um, the, uh, the one remake, of the things. He was on the remake of The Prisoner in two thousand nine. He's been on Lie to Me. He was on Human Target. He was in the movie Columbiana. Uh, he was in the movie Lockout, which I saw, which I really liked. He was on the HBO series Hung for a few episodes. Um, he's he's all over the place. He's done a lot of stuff. Jericho. He just did a TV series called Line of Duty. Apparently, that must be a yeah. British one. Yeah. Yeah, he, he he the first thing I remember seeing him in you know I'm sure I've seen him in other things prior to this but was the the Guy Ritchie movie Snatch. Which is fantastic. Man. Um he played Yeah, and he was awesome in that movie. Yeah, he was, it was one a of great the great movie. Yeah. I mean and he was really really good in that. Um but he he's just that kind of great character actor and I think you know maybe that's why he's so good. He works good, you know, in small doses, but I mean I have no doubt if he became a regular the only thing that that concerns me, if he became a regular, he's almost kind of like a, uh, um, like you know Scott Wilson's character that they be they be a little bit of a, you know maybe too similar to each other, you know that kind of older, you know wise kind of advice giving type of character. But I mean, I'd love to see him as a regular. I mean, no question. I think his absence for so long made this made his reappearance even sweeter, you know. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I remember what I how I felt when I finally saw him in the comic after so long, you know. And that was even longer. That was like 70, 80 yeah. issues, I think. Yeah. That's not counting the the one-off Christmas special that they published, you know. Um I was able to keep those separate in my mind, but um yeah, having to be away for so long on on the TV show was it was really nice when he showed up. You know, I, I, it was uh, it was very sweet. Amen. So Rick and Michonne pick him up and they go to bring him into his I guess apartment is the best word his residence at least. Uh, they're looking out for traps. They find a bunch of spikes under a welcome mat, which was one of my favorites. Uh, at the top of the steps, there's a trip wire that unlocks a axe which would swing down and hit anybody coming through the door at the top of the steps, which was caked in blood and gore, so it's been used before. And uh, they find in his apartment guns. Lots and lots and lots of guns. So many guns, I can't even overstate how many guns there are. This is way more than was even in the, uh, the police locker, the sheriff's locker, although I think we're... Led to believe, I don't remember if they say it explicitly, but he was the one who cleared out the, the sheriff's locker of all the guns that they were looking for in the first place, plus many others that they don't really explain where he got them, but he, he's been around, so uh, we can guess, of course. Yeah, there was a line between Rick and Michonne where Michonne is like, you had this many guns in that locker? And he said, no, but these are some of those. He's been busy. You know, he must have been busy. So they do allude to the fact that these are the guns they were looking for, plus a whole lot more. One, well, you kind of got a whiff of that a little bit when he opened fire on them at the beginning of the episode. I mean, he was just letting loose with the rounds, which, 
you know, at the time I was like, why is he wasting so many bullets? Like, wouldn't he be conserving? And so it was really cool when we go inside and we see all of the, you know, weapons and ammo and everything that he has. It's like, oh, that's why he was indiscriminately firing on them. So up in Morgan's apartment, there are writings, just crazy rambling, scrawled all over the walls in chalk and in spray paint. Uh, there's actually an entire map of, I don't know if it was all of Kings County, but it was a large section, uh, including Rick's house, which is marked as burnt out, and Carl sees that, and it seems to bum him out quite a bit. And then Carl's looking at the rest of the map, and he sees something that catches his eye, and he tells his dad he wants to go over to the store where a friend of his mom's worked or owned the store, I forget, off the top of my head. And they, uh, he wants to go over there because it's a, like a baby supply store and get a crib for Judith, because he doubts that's the type of thing people would have uh, looted, which makes sense. And Michonne offers to go with him because she says it'll be quite heavy, so Rick, Rick consents. And he stays with Morgan, who is still passed out um, at the moment, but Rick has secured his hands with a zip tie, so he will be theoretically uh, incapacitated. When, I was going to say this earlier, when Carl saw the map on the wall, I had a lost flashback uh, from season three when Locke was in the hatch and the alarm went off and the the doors came down and the black light came on and you saw that hand scroll handwritten uh, map all over the wall. It reminded me of that real quick. Yeah. Well, before we get to the rest of the episode and there's a ton of great stuff to talk about, Russ, why don't you tell us about our wonderful sponsor? Our sponsor as always for the walking dead TV podcast is discount comic book service, uh, DCBService.com. The March solicits have just come out. So you've got plenty of time to comb through the list for March, if you're a slacker like myself and are running a little behind on your February orders, if you've if you've caught this in the first few uh, few days or the first week or so of February, you could still go to the website, pull down the February orders, and get your uh, orders sent in to them. Just shoot them an email, letting them know that you're putting in a late order. They're more than happy to accommodate that. But the March orders are up. Um, not too much Walking Dead stuff this month in March. We got Walking Dead number one ten uh, on the monthly side, which uh, it's it's just kind of one of those in between trade times, but again, forty percent off the comic. Uh, so instead of paying two ninety nine, you'll pay a dollar seventy nine. Uh, there are a, a, one of the other things on DCBS this month also is the Walking Dead hardcover hardcover novel, The Road to Woodbury, uh, which is the volume two of of the the novelizations, the Governor novelizations that they have. Thirty uh, percent off. Uh, you can get it for seventeen forty nine. Um, also, don't forget, if you're into digital comics, if you're not really wanting to, to contribute to cutting down of trees, uh, you can earn 5% back on any of your uh, either either collections or trinkets or whatever else you might order from DCB service um, through the comics uh, through their Comixology web store. Uh, you can go to DCBService.com, and if you order a bunch of digital stuff, it'll get you that 5%, uh, you know, uh, towards future purchases, which is which is really cool to do if you're if you're into that. Um, continuing on, all of the the new hardcovers and trades from DC are all listed at fifty percent off. So that is a incredible bargain uh, for you to get if you're if you're into what they're doing with the new fifty two from DC. 
Um, and most of the Marvel stuff and the DC stuff and the Image stuff are all 40% off of regular cover prices between $299 and $399. Um, so check, head on out to dcbservice.com. We thank them for their support of the Walking Dead TV podcast. Very much so. So after Michonne and Carl leave uh, and Rick has secured Morgan, we see that Morgan has woken up. It's unclear exactly when he regained consciousness, but once he's on the cot, we can see that underneath of it, duct taped to the side, is a knife. Uh, He grabs that, cuts himself free, and then he jumps on Rick. Uh, They tussle for a bit while Rick goes, hey, it's me, it's Rick. You remember me, right? And Morgan is rambling about how, no, you're dead, you're wearing a dead dead man's face, no one can be trusted, etc. and so forth. Uh, He finally stabs Rick in the shoulder, but then Rick gets the jump on him, pulls out his gun with that one last bullet, and Morgan begs him to kill him. Now, have we gone into any detail about all the stuff that's written on the walls? Like uh, when Rick is looking on the wall and he sees the words, Dwayne turned... Yeah, I couldn't remember exactly when he saw that, but yes, Dwayne, who was uh, Dwayne Jones, Morgan's son, named after the actor Dwayne Jones from the original Dawn of the Dead, or no, no I'm sorry, uh, from the original Night of the Living Dead, um, Dwayne is his son, Dwayne is turned, there's a couple other notations of random names that have turned, I assume most of those are in-jokes, family and friends of writers, etc., no one who I remember from the comics or anything in particular, um, there's the word clear written many times in spray paint and chalk, there's a lot of... Um, what seems like kind of plans uh, from watching the talking dead, it seems that all the spray painted arrows and such were references to like little escape plans for Morgan. So he could get around the town easily. Um, so some of that seemed to be what they were referring to with uh, some of the notes. Other parts of it was just kind of incoherent ramblings. I don't know. Did anybody else pick out anything in particular that interested them? No, not really. I mean, I, I was just not other than what you mentioned. Uh, there were a lot of things that didn't um, seem to make sense or might have been acronyms or something. I know I saw ABBI and a few other things, and uh, um, I don't know if they, you know, they meant anything or not or if they're just random scrawl, but uh, definitely clear was you know, written in red where a lot of the other things were written in black, so it's definitely meant to stand out. So they, they get to talk, and somewhere in here, Rick sees in one of the chests with all the guns, he sees the walkie-talkie that he had given to Morgan. They had to- told him right back in the pilot, hey, turn this on every day at dawn. I'll turn mine on. We can stay in contact. And last time we saw that was, I believe, the season two premiere as they were leaving Atlanta, uh, which was the scene we saw in the, uh, the previously on Walking Dead in the beginning. And uh, so he talks to Morgan, you know, do you remember this? Do you remember, you know, I talked to you on the walkie. I tried to talk to you on the walkie. I gave you this. And Morgan breaks down and says, I turned it on every morning. You weren't there. I tried. I kept my end of the bargain. You weren't there. You never responded. And Rick says, you know, he had no choice. He he was moving out of the county with, with his group. They were on this farm. They were out of uh, walkie-talkie range. And Morgan relates his story. And then this is what I was talking about before in his, his really beautiful soliloquy that really came across as um, a Kirkman style. It felt very much like something out of the comics in, in the best way possible. Uh, he tells a story of how You know, Rick had given him the gun back in the pilot and told him he needed to shoot his zombified wife, whose name was, I believe, Jenny or Julie. I forget off the top of my head. Um, And Morgan was unable to do that. He could not, you know, find the strength to shoot her. And then later on, after Rick had left and was with his group, um, Morgan went down into a cellar one day to look for supplies, and he didn't want to bring his son down there in case they, you know, there was a bunch of zombies or something. So he had his son wait up top. 
Uh, when he came back out, he saw his, his son looking away from him, looking right at his zombified mother, and his son couldn't bear to pull the trigger either, and Morgan still couldn't, and uh, he yelled to... I think he said he yelled to his wife to try to distract her, but instead it distracted the son. The son turned around and looked at him, uh, and his mother uh, jumped on him, bit his neck, and that was finally when Morgan was able to pull the trigger. He says all he could see was red, and at that point he had lost all the family he had. His son was dead, his wife was dead, and he was alone, and that was pretty much uh, the inciting incident to drive him completely out of his mind. I mean, you think what what happened to Rick would be the the saddest story you could possibly think of until you hear Morgan's story, yeah. which is, like, even more tragic. So while this is going on, Carl and Michonne head out into the town, and it's pretty clear right from the beginning uh, to both us as the audience and to Michonne as the character that Carl has more on his mind than just getting a crib, and uh, he tries to lose Michonne, but she catches up to him. And she she keeps telling him, you know, you know, I'm on your side, I'm going to help you out, just, you know, calm down and, and stop trying to lose me. Um, he goes right past the baby supply store, and so she keeps following him. And they get to this, uh, I guess, cafe is the right term, term, or a bar and grill. Just a little yeah, country restaurant. Yes, King County Cafe. In fact, when he looks at it on the map, it just says KCC. Ah, was that what that was? There. I had not put two and two together. And then when you get there, it's uh, called the King County Cafe. It looks like the, you know, the diner in the center of town type situation. Right. And uh, so they go up to it. And I think at this point, it's still unclear exactly why he wants to go inside. But he says there's he needs to go inside. Michonne, Michonne says she'll help him. Uh, so he goes inside. Or they, they open the door. They look through. And they see there's a, a number of fairly dormant zombies. These zombies have been sitting around in here, presumably, for over a year now. Um, and so they decide to take a page out of Morgan's book. They take some of his caged animals they've been using as bait in uh, Ravenholm, and uh, they put them on skateboards inside cages, and they wheel them into the diner to distract the zombies, and they sneak in. And, of course, there's most of the zombies go, but there's one out of the corner that they don't see who starts following them. Uh, Carl climbs up on the bar and grabs a picture from above the bar, uh, a framed picture that you might see in a, in a small-town uh, restaurant like that. And uh, they're quickly attacked by the one zombie. Michonne takes him out uh, silently, luckily, and very quickly, so the other zombies don't see. But as they're trying to sneak out, uh, one of the rats escapes from the cage and uh, leads, <laughs> goes right to them, leads the zombies to them, and it's a full-on melee. Um, they get out as fast as they can. There was a really cool uh, kill, though, I, I loved. Um, someone in a, like, a Short Order Cooks outfit comes out from the kitchen uh, a zombie, of course, but this zombie is, like, so decomposed, they've almost, it seems like they've almost been slightly mummified, and when Michonne chops, I think it was a female zombie, when she chops her in the head, it almost, it's not like a normal zombie decapitation or half decapitation, her skull, like, almost shatters, almost like ash, I don't know if anyone else caught that, but I thought it looked really neat. Yeah, that one was good. I really yeah. liked the one on the bar, too, when uh, when Carl's trying to get the picture up off the bar, and Michonne kills that one uh, just totally silently, just by grabbing grabbing by the hair, you know, and driving the katana through as quietly as she can, and she's trying to pull it out as quietly as she can, too, with all that brain goo and everything right in her face. I, I thought that was a really good zombie kill as well. There was a lot of really good zombie action in this one. I, I, I think the, you know, the, the cool stealth stuff, that we saw with Michonne and Carl, 
Uh, we didn't really comment it too much on the on the beginning, but the bit where when the zombies were around the car and they were really starting to get in and they knew they had to clear them out. And when Rick rolls down that window and tells them all to cover their ears and then puts the gun out and then covers his, you know, kind of, I just thought that was really smart. Um, so it, it, it you know, we kind of gotten, the zombie stuff has kind of been very matter of fact or very in the background. Um, so it was kind of cool to see it much more upfront uh, in the, in this than we've seen it in the last couple episodes. Yeah, I think there were too. It, it seemed like they were, uh, you know, instead of volume, like they had the other, you know, with the ambush from the governor on the, in the prison, they were going for like more of the intimate kills. Yeah, and I thought it was pretty effective. Definitely added tension, especially in that cafe with the uh, close quarters. Yeah, and it was so were. dark and dusty. and Right. So, uh, Carl and Michonne kill as many zombies as they can. They rush out, but Carl drops the picture. Um, so he wants to go right back in, even after they shut the door and trap the zombies inside. And Michonne tells him, look, I know you want this picture, but you need to trust me. You are not capable of going in there and getting it yourself. You need to stand here. You need to wait. I will get it for you. Uh, but you need to trust me and you need to do what I say. Someone finally, for, for, better, for lack of a better term, getting Carl to stay in the house. Uh, Michonne is the one who's apparently able to do that. Because Carl hangs his head, but he stays out front. He waits, just like he's told, for the first time ever. And uh, Michonne is gone for about 30 seconds. She ninjas her way in and out. We don't see how. And I thought it was kind of a cool choice. And then she hands in the picture. And she also reveals that she grabbed this uh, kind of rainbow-colored cat sculpture thing. and Because uh, she liked it. And it was kind of the first joke we ever got from Michonne. Uh, one of the first smiles we've gotten from her. A nice little character moment. And then they walk back to the uh, to Morgan's house, and we see that the picture that Carl took was one of him, his mother, and his father at the restaurant that looked like an earlier photo they must have taken for the show, because uh, everybody in the picture looked much younger. And uh, he, he got it because he wanted Judith to be able to see what his mother looked like, or what her mother looked like. I love that line with Michonne too. She, you know, he's like, I don't, I can do it myself. And Michelle's like, Michonne says, you know, you can't stop me from helping you. Yeah. You know, and then we kind of get that bonding moment between her and Carl, which I thought was really cool and needed too, because, you know, they've been kind of skitterish with each other throughout the whole thing. Well, actually, I think the full quote, which I really enjoyed was he, she goes, I could stop you if I wanted to. Cause he goes, you can't stop me. She goes, yes, I could. And we all know that Michonne is telling the truth when she absolutely could, but she goes, but you can't stop me from helping you which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, I think it was a much-needed Michonne character moment at in this episode, in the series, and, and at that point. Um, so that was, that, was, that was really cool. I liked that a lot. The only thing that seemed weird to me was, didn't they kind of make it seem like they were holding the door shut from all those zombies coming to it? And then she leaves Carl and purposely has him stand against the door, which I thought was weird because the door had glass on it. So I was like... Wouldn't they be worried that they'd punch through the glass and grab them? But I don't know. It just, again, just one of those moments where it just kind of made me think a little bit. Well, I kind of figured that she was kind of using Carl as bait so she could sneak in and get the photo. You know what I mean? They were all the zombies that have their eyes on on Carl yeah. and then Michonne would be able to sneak in and, and do a ninja thing and get it. Because Carl was like veal. Right, exactly. Yes. <laughs> she truly was ninja-like in this episode that you know the sneaking in walking in getting the picture when she um, got up to the roof earlier in like five seconds yeah 
yeah, the roof thing also was was what I was gonna say. That was a that was pretty awesome. Um, something that's not related to what we're talking about, but it was related to Russ's comments about the specific attention to the zombies um, in this episode. There was something that happened at the very beginning of the episode that I meant to mention, and while I'm thinking about it, I'll just go ahead. Uh, one of the first things we saw when the show, when the episode opened, was the sign that said something like, Hey, Aaron tried to make it to some. Uh, oh, it was to, to Stone Mountain, which I, oh, have a, yeah. I have an yeah. anecdote about when you're done. I was watching um, this episode uh, with my friend Chris on a big screen up at work, and, um, you know, we talk while the episode's going, and I said, I wonder who Aaron is. Just kind of you know, without really thinking about it. I said that. And then not not a minute later or two minutes later or whatever, we see that one zombie with the bracelet. Girl, with the bracelet that said Aaron. I thought that was really yeah. a really, really nice touch. It was a very left for dead type thing to do, those signs like that saying, Hey, we went to this place, um, try to find us. And for anyone who is familiar with the Atlanta area or is planning on visiting, might I suggest that you actually check out Stone Mountain, uh, because I've been there. It is beautiful. It is one of the, I think, one of the natural wonders of the world or something like that, or the natural wonders of the states. Um, it's essentially, well, it's it's twofold as a uh, national monument or natural monument or whatever it technically is. Um, it is both a naturally occurring and really awesome gigantic boulder. When it's called Stone Mountain, it, they are not they weren't being facetious or overstating. It is a huge huge like thousands of feet high boulder that you can take a cable car up to and uh, walk around up top. I think there might be a little uh little shop up there, but there's an observation deck. It is amazing to see and to go up on. It is really cool. Um, the other part of it, which is uh, not quite as cool, I mean, it's still cool, but in a creepy way, not creepy is not the right word, but in a disconcerting way, is it's the uh, the Mount Rushmore of the South, in that there is a big uh, stone carving, etching, I don't know what it is technically, of Robert E. Lee, Jefferson Davis, and another Confederate hero on their horses. So, that's a little weird, although it's still cool as a piece of art, but uh, as a natural monument, if you've never seen it, Google it. It is wild, and you cannot comprehend how big this thing is without standing in front of it. It is huge. So that is my that is Jordan's geography and uh, <laughs> vacation suggestion for this episode. But back to The Walking Dead, because that's what we want to talk about, not vacation locations. Uh, Rick is still talking to Morgan. He says, hey, we've got this prison. It's safe. You should join us. And Morgan says no. And he makes a very astute observation for a crazy man saying, I notice you're taking a lot of my guns. Uh, usually you don't need guns unless you're in danger. And with the number you're taking, I'm thinking people will be shooting at you. And he has this great line about, you know, you will not be safe. You, you, you will die. Your son will die. You will be torn apart by either teeth or bullets. And I need to stay here. I need to clear. I need to help clear this town. This is my mission. This is his punishment. This is his purgatory, his Sisyphean task in many ways. It is until he dies, he will just stay there, trapping zombies, uh, killing them, taking them to that burn pile, lighting them on fire, day in, day out. That is his, that is his eternity. Yeah, for somebody who's gone off the deep end, he, he seems pretty He's good. very loquacious. To use a Bill McGonnell word. 
<laughs> you know what would be interesting is if this turns out to be the safest place on the planet um, because he's just being so meticulous about clearing it out. You know, he's not looking to fortify. He's not looking to defend. I mean, yes, he has his booby traps, but he's not building a wall. He's not purposely trying to keep them out. He's luring them in so he can kill and dispose of as many as, as possible. And, um, you know, again, fast forward this another two, five, six, seven years. Um, you know, you wonder if it just, if, if these things start, you know, I hate to say learning, but if almost like a pattern emerges amongst the zombies that they just start avoiding the area completely and it just becomes this natural dead zone for, um, you know, for zombie. <laughs> That's, that sounds funny. A dead zone for no zombies. No pun intended. But, yeah, exactly. Um, but just this, what, you know, this, this, this blank spot where they, you know, black hole, um, where they don't even come anymore. Um, you know, and then the group ends up back there, you know, refortified or something. I, I just, I just, it just intrigues me a lot, um, knowing what, what Morgan is doing and his state of mind and everything about it. I mean, in a lot of ways, this episode should, you know, I think they've tried to do this at other times and, and taken an episode like this and slow down. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Um, and, and I think this time it just, it just worked really well. Uh, you know, and I think I think this is the kind of episode that just kind of gets you thinking a little bit too about w- what this particular character has been doing, what he is doing, and what he will do. And in many ways, the same way we've been seeing the season, um, the governor as a dark mirror for Rick, and sometimes even vice versa with how crazy he's gotten. This episode really served as a way for Rick to see what he could become in Morgan, and for him to. I think this is going to be the uh, the thing that really snaps him out of his crazy man funk, at least for a time, and allows him to realize he needs to be there both physically and mentally and emotionally for his son and daughter and for his group. Because if he does not stop the path he was going down uh, last week and the week before, he would probably end up something like Morgan. Well, he does even acknowledge the fact that he was seeing things at the end of the episode. Um We'll, I'm sure we'll get to that, but you know, I think I think you're right, Jordan. I think this is the thing that finally gets his attention because he can admit out loud, "Oh, by the way, I'm seeing things. You might want to drive." <laughs> you know, um, to piggyback on something Russell would say, and I think I would love it if in the final episode of the final season of this show, um, after everybody's dead. You know, and that's not a spoiler. It's just something I will assume that will happen because this is a, a zombie show and an unhappy place to live. But the last main character dies, fade to black. We fade up and we get a graphic that says ten years later, and we cut back to Morgan. He's still in that town. You know, he's got gray hair now, and he's just doing the same thing, clearing it out, getting zombies. Take him to the burn pile. The burn pile is huge now. Maybe there's six or seven burn piles. I think that would be a really sweet way to end the episode. I like the way you think. I said end the episode. I mean end the series. I could be down with that. So Morgan tells Rick, you know, take the guns and leave. So uh, Rick heads back outside. He meets up with Michonne and Carl, who have picked up a crib on their way back. And Carl goes up to Morgan and apologizes for shooting him. And, Mor- and Morgan tells Carl, never be sorry. 
So they head back to the car with their stuff, and Rick asks Carl how things went with Michonne, and Carl tells Rick he thinks Michonne might be one of us. And Rick kind of gives him a funny look, and then he goes over and talks to Michonne as they are loading the, the trunk with the guns and the ammo, and she goes up to Rick and she says, look, I know you see dead people, I know you've been seeing things, I went through something similar, I was talking to my dead boyfriend for a while, um, which I don't think they've said in the show, but, you know, uh, we've talked about it before. Yeah, this was the first acknowledgement of anything of that nature right, right. In, in, the, in the TV show, whereas, you know, one of the first clues that we got in the comic that the Michonne wasn't all there was the fact that somebody caught her talking out loud to nobody. Right. But also, one of... Uh, one of her zombie watchdogs was her boyfriend. So <laughs> that was who she was talking to. Although I think generally when we saw it in the comics, she wasn't actually talking to the zombie because the zombie was already gone, but she was still thinking of that person as a living, breathing person in many ways. Well, this is the only insight we've had to Michonne's backstory at all. Right, in the, yeah. In the TV show. And it's about time, too. Yeah. And, and you know what? It was, yeah. it was just It was just the right amount of it to show that she's actually probably a character that we could end up caring about. And I think between, you know, between Michonne and Carl, they had a little moment. And then at the end, uh, Michonne and Rick, they had a little moment. This is one of the reasons that I enjoyed this episode as much as I did, because I had been waiting and waiting and waiting for Michonne to be able to, be integrated into the group and if Carl and Rick are the ones that go back to the prison and say this woman she's okay she's one of us I mean everybody else is going to go okay well we trust you you know it just right especially Carl yeah yeah especially Carl I, I mean you know I people have obviously gained a lot of respect for Carl you know he had to shoot his mom and he hadn't been bitching about it you know he's uh he's grown up you know and and uh I've just been really, you know, I was talking to Johnny M about this a while back. Michonne was one of the characters that we were so excited uh, to see. And she has been very Michonne-like, almost to a fault, you know, in the TV show. She's been very one note. And finally, we get to see that other side of her. And it's, it's, uh, it was very welcome, uh, very welcome change. Yeah, uh, to the listeners, I'd say we weren't just excited about Michonne because, oh my gosh, she's this awesome uh, zombie-killing ninja. That's cool, but we really enjoy the character, and this was the first time we got to see the character side of her, and, and this is what we were so excited about, more than just decapitations by Katana. Yeah, I think right now the worst thing they could do is pull back from that. They really need to solidify her place they need to keep that momentum going where she's more engaged with the rest of the characters that she doesn't just throw non sequiturs and one-liners out there and not answer questions when she's asked i really hope they use this as as the turning point for her to be an involved member of that group and i it really excites me if when they get back that between rick Daryl and Michonne, if the three of them act as just kind of this united front and, um, you know, this, this small group within the group that, you know, talks strategy and, you know, acts like a war council or whatever, I really think that, that 
it could push the show even further um, and, and make it something even better, better than it's been. But if they pull back on her, I think people are going to respond really negatively to that. I think we were talking too about the, you know the breakneck pace of the first half of the third season and how it, it kind of contrasted with some more of the character building that we saw in the second season. I think this is a nice balance here. We we got the Walker action that we crave. We had some cool plot threads be, you know being tied up with Morgan and everything, and yeah, you know, we also got the the good character stuff that gives depth and to to Michonne and you know I mean we we've been talking about Michonne since you know before she even showed up on the show because we know her so well as a character from the comic. Uh, you know, and like Jordan said, it's not just cool katana kills to the head. It's also, you know, knowing about her character and her story arc and, and where she's coming from. So it was great to see that this time. So like I said, Rick talks to Michonne and she tells him about her boyfriend. And then Rick asks her, you want to drive? She goes, yeah, why? He goes, yeah, I see things sometimes. And that was a nice little joke to round out their part of the story. But we're not done. There was one last scene. They drive. They get back in the car. They drive. They pass Morgan. Uh, for one last time in the episode, who is throwing bodies on the burn pile and getting ready to continue along with his task. Uh, they drive further down the road, they drive around where they got stuck the first time, and then they see blood on the road, a long stretch of uh, road pizza, and then they pass the backpack of the hitchhiker from the beginning. Um, and in a beautiful and chilling and uh, awful, but in a good way, move, uh, they stop the car, they slowly back up um, in this beautiful wide shot, they reach down, they grab his backpack, they bring it into the car, and they drive off, and that ends clear. Yeah, I love that shot. That It was so beautiful. They were driving slow through all that, you know, just to make sure they didn't get stuck, and the camera was still on the the backpack. The car drives out of frame to the left, and then you can hear it, you know, slowing down, and, and then it backs up slowly. You don't see really anybody. They're just kind of silhouetted in the car. You see the backpack being lifted off the ground and, you know, on the other side of the car and driving off. Just well done. You know, it, it mirrored, to me, it mirrored the end, or I'm sorry, the beginning of the episode when, in more than one way, obviously it dealt with the hitchhiker, but, you know, there was no dialogue uh, again at the end. It was just, just, uh, I'm so... It was like a ray of light, the the structure of this episode, the writing, and uh, the choices that Scott Gimple made when he wrote this episode. It, it excites me very, very much for next season. I, I don't think you could take another 30-second chunk from the show that illustrates the state of the world and the state of these characters better than that final shot, uh, or final two shots. I, I think that was just, that encapsulated where they are and how they're thinking so perfectly. Um, and I thought it was just gorgeous. It was kind of cool that it introduced a little bit of like Gallo's humor yeah. to the episode. Because I couldn't help but chuckle a little bit. Um, but it also reminded me of, was it that Volkswagen commercial from a few years back where the guys are driving along, they see the couch on the side of the road or chair or whatever it is. They pick it up and they're like singing some song. And then they realize the couch smells. So they show them again and they're, they drive past this, they, they like put the couch back and drive on or something like that. It just, it just had one of those irreverent, you know, kind of moments and feels to it. But, and uh, the episode had a I number it was of really those, cool. which we have not gotten in The Walking Dead for quite some time. It had a number of yeah. really dark jokes and a couple of just joke jokes, but it really rounded things out very well. Yeah. Yeah. That bit with Michonne and Rick, I thought was the perfect capper 
um, to to you know to that to their adventure in that in that area with Morgan because again you know we talked about Michonne coming out of her shell and when she opened up to Rick and said you know I talked to my dead boyfriend too I think you know two things one when Rick saw how crazy Morgan got and how it could potentially affect him but then how he sees that he's not the only one I think Rick's fear was that he was losing it and there was something with you know something wrong with him that he's become untrustworthy um that he's become too far detached and i think that bit with michonne too helped ground him a little bit to say okay it's not just me like this is normal to react this way um you know given everything that i've been through that my son has been through that these people that i call family have been through i i think that was the the kind of the cherry on the top to bring him back to to normalcy as much as possible given the environment that he's in. So before we get to our Buster ratings and everything else for the rest of this episode, we've got two, count them, two voicemails to play. So let's play the first one right now. Hey guys, I just listened to your last podcast, loved it as usual. I just wanted to rewind a little bit and go back to the Nebraska episode with Dave and Tony where they had their showdown with Rick, and which led to the Randall incident where he revealed that he was part of a bigger group of 30 guys that, that clearly were raping and pillaging along the way, you know, anybody that got in their way, which I'm going to fast forward even more and go to the point where Andrea was kidnapped, or Andrea and Michonne were basically captured by the governor's people, and when she reveals to Merle that Daryl was with her at the farm when it was overrun and pointed out in the map, he clearly knew that area, like they had been around that area which would maybe make you think that Dave and Tony were part of the governor's group, which I don't know if the, con- the show ever make that connection since they were such small characters, but it makes me wonder, why doesn't Merle just reveal a little bit more information to the group why Andrew is there? Like, you know, remember that little sob story he told us about the soldiers not having our walls? Well, I'm not saying, you know, we actually killed all those guys, Andrea, so, you know, this guy is not about truce here, you know what I mean? I mean, he's got just as much to lose as everybody else at this point in his life. I just don't understand. I am in defense of the writers there. Maybe, you know, denial's a powerful thing, especially in the face of death, I guess. When you have to face life or death, you might believe anything, you know. But that's just what I was thinking. I wonder if there's that connection. Randall talked about this group and what they've been doing. And I just, I just, just this little, you know, thing I was thinking. But I wonder what you guys thought. Okay, have a good one. Love the show. So there's a couple things there. One is Randall's group and Tony and Dave's group the same as the governor's group. I think my vote would probably be no, only because the general tone of the camp that Randall described, assuming he was telling the truth to, I believe it was Shane, uh, does not seem to match the general tone of the governor's group, even though they do terrible things as well. And I think from a story standpoint, um, and this is a dark thing to say, but I think I'd much rather believe that there are many <laughs> not so good groups out there of you know some stationary some uh, roving through the countryside groups of bad people doing terrible things to survive uh, i think that just works better from a story sp- standpoint although it wouldn't bother me if uh, randall's group was the same as the governor's group but what do you guys think now that we've seen some more I remember when that episode came out, there, were a lot, there was a lot of speculation among us that they might be part of the governor's group, and they really never said one way or another, uh, you know, w- whether that group was part of the Woodbury crew or not. And I think if they had been part of that crew, they would have made a point to say so. 
So I, I agree with you. I think there'd be there's another group. I just always looked looked at it as they were part of the governor's group merely so I could just stop thinking about it. Because the more I would think about it, you know, the possibilities would be like driving me crazy. So I just put him with the governor and then close that book. Yeah, I I just figured they were just a roving band of lunatics. Um, so I, I didn't put much credence in the fact that they were with the governor. But again, you know, one of those things I didn't, if, if it turns out they were, it wouldn't have surprised me or been really been that big of a deal one way or the other. We probably would have heard the governor mention them by name. You know, uh, we lost Randall. We lost, I forget the names. Tony and Dave. Yeah. We lost Tony and Dave. You know, we, if they were intended to be part of the governor's group, they probably would have given us that bone, I would imagine. Because, you know, the governor has listed several people that they lost. You know, he had that book of all the people that they lost, and Pe- Penny, was it Penny, was like the last name in the list. They they might have uh, shown us, you know, Dave and Tony and Randall's names written in there if they were supposed to be part of the group. Good point. Uh, part two of his question, why hasn't Merle revealed more about the evil things the governor has done? Uh, my first inclination is who says he hasn't, but I do think that would be an important thing to show on the show, you know, not just as a something that happens uh, between the scenes, as it were. But what do you guys think? Well, he he kind of went there last week with Herschel. You know, when, when uh, Herschel walked in when he was duct taping that blade to his his arm and he said you know first thing he's going to do he's going to kill me and then he's going to kill daryl and then he's going to kill rick you know he was kind of describing he was kind of describing the the um craziness that was the governor when he was talking to merle you know he he might not have gotten into specifics but i think he was trying to let at least herschel know that this guy is dangerous and he has done things and he's, you know, I, he was basically saying, I know this guy. So I think he kind of went there a little bit, but like I said, not specifics. Well, I, I think part of it too is Merle has his own agenda and he's not, I don't take him as the type that's going to let all his cards hang out. Even if he feels like he was going to set her straight or set the record straight. I think He's gonna. He's the kind of guy that's gonna hold stuff back until he can maximize the benefit for himself. Yeah, I agree with that. Plus, I think he's he's trying to lay low and assimilate for now with the Rick group. So I doubt he'd be you know bringing up more. You know. And we have another voicemail from our good friend Daryl Taylor. So let's play that one right now. Hey, this is uh, Daryl, and uh, I absolutely love Clear the episode Clear, and I think it's did a great job with the actor that plays Morgan shows the difference between being able to portray someone who's actually going crazy and losing their mind as opposed to Rick trying to portray like he was crazy and it just didn't take the way he did it. It just seemed off. But the way that, and you can tell, he just, he just, you know, the character of Morgan, the actor who plays Morgan, he just hit it. He hit it on the, on the head on how you portray that normal man who loves his family and that pretty much drags him into losing them, drags him into a, uh, just a sea of just chaos and crazy, and it just worked. 
man. It, it, it was a great episode, man. It, it's been a lot better than last, uh, the last episode, which was pretty weak. So, uh, you can kind of tell who the strong actors are and who the weak ones are at times on this show. But, uh, love the podcast. Uh, great show. That's it. I'm out. I think a lot of that has to do with the writing, though, too. I mean, the way they wrote Rick's Crazy and the way they wrote Morgan's Crazy was different. But I, I do agree. I think Lenny James is the stronger actor of the two. And that's nothing against Andrew Lincoln. Lenny James is just a really great actor. Uh, yeah, I can't, uh, I can't disagree with Mr. Taylor at all. Nor can I. Except about many things Spider-Man. But that's another podcast altogether. Sorry, Daryl. We love you. I'm going to give this episode five uh, welcome mats out of five. <laughs> I just adored this episode, every part of it. Um, I, I have no complaints about this episode. It's just, there's not anything more for me to say. I just loved it, absolutely loved it. I will give it 4.25 busters. Uh, it, I thought it was a really strong episode. Um I, to me, there, I, I can't explain. When the episode was finished, I was like, wow, that really didn't feel like an hour's worth or 44 minutes worth of material or whatever. It just it felt like the single setting made it so that, that there just wasn't... It just didn't seem like there was a lot of meat on the episode. I mean, yes, a lot of things happened. Uh, we got a lot of great character interaction, but I... I, I can't really put my finger on what didn't push this over the top for me as just like a standout episode. Um, I, I think they did really well with Michonne, like we said, but I wish they would have pushed it just a little bit further. I wish they would have pushed her to open up just a little bit more um, and come out of her shell a little bit more. And, and, you know, maybe it'll turn out in retrospect that, that less is more and that they're working up to it and they don't want to play all their cards, you know, at once, but, um, but still just a really solid episode, um, you know, and, and definitely in the upper tier of what we've seen this season and from the show itself. I give it a four, seven, five busters. Uh, I really enjoyed it a lot. I like the idea of them breaking off a few characters, uh, to do, you know, go a little more in depth with them and a little more, um, you know, these character moments by breaking off into smaller groups, I think it's a good idea, and I hope we see more episodes like this in the future where it allows them to focus on, on you know, who the people are and, and, and where they stand with one another. I like the the, the arc between um, Carl and Michonne here. I love the, you know, Rick seeing, you know, the reflection of what uh, happened to his family and what happened to Morgan's family and how far it, dro- it drove Morgan to the edge of sanity, and, you know, that's kind of bringing Rick back, I think, from the edge of of sanity. And uh, I just thought it was really well written, well put together, enjoyed it a lot. So 475 uh, bloody axes uh, on tripwires for me. Well, for the second week in a row, take note of this, people, because it is a stunner. I am on the same exact page as Brad. I give this one 5 out of 5. Loved it start to finish. Great acting, great writing, great cinematography. Um, the character work was spectacular. There was nothing out of this episode I didn't like. I, I loved it. Through and through, so five out of five for me. On Twitter, we got a, a few comments. Meg Stewart says Michonne was finally herself. Glad to see Morgan again. You guys called it. Overall, three and a half Merle's fingers out of five. Uh, Jimmy in Georgia says 
3.5 busters. Enjoyed the old friend this week and Michonne opening up some, but not much else happened. What's the governor waiting on? And Shogo67, Anthony, says 4.5 Michonne's Rainbow Cats out of 5. Finally, we're focusing on a few characters, and it's great. Only bummer, Morgan not joining the gang. On the Facebooks, we got a lot of really great uh, Buster ratings, too. Leslie Johnson, 5 out of 5. Rick's back, and Michonne talked for real. Uh, Everard uh, Santa Marina gave it a 475 SOL Hitchhikers out of 5. Um, uh, Susan Monk, 4.5 Magic Michonne Moments. Uh, she magically got to the roof in a flash. Also in and out of the restaurant with the photo. Uh, Michael Santana, 5 out of 5 Crazy Morgans. Uh, 475 from Terry Bernard. Uh, Philip Hurd gave it a 4.5 T-Dogs. It looks like we'd be be finally getting the Michonne the comic readers love so much. Nice break from the Woodbury drama, and I totally agree with all of that. Uh, Donnie Salvo gave it a 3.5 Eaton Hitchhikers. Uh, Rob Toll also only gave it a 3.5. But overall, on the Facebook group, it's it's all 5 out of 5s and over 4 out of 5s. So uh, a pretty popular episode with our, with our group as well. If you want to join that Facebook group, it's pretty easy to do. Just look under uh, Groups for the Walking Dead TV podcast and uh, join, join the fun. We don't have a nutshell review from Aaron Newworth, our good friend from the Out Now with Aaron and A podcast, which you can find at hhwlod.com. Uh, this week, but his full review is up on the website, so like I said, go to hhwlod.com. You can read his full and wonderful review there. Anything else this week, gentlemen, before we get to the end and then do our uh, slightly spoilery look towards next week? No, I'm good. Well then, until next week, you can leave us a voicemail at 516-468-7912. That's 516-468-7912. Or send us an email, comments at walkingdeadtv.com. Don't forget to check out hhwlod.com for all of our great shows like Half Hour Wasted, Legion Dudes, Peak Eddie, Black Box, At Now with Aaron and Abe, and the brand new Jersey Shore, which new episodes will be coming out soon. And of course, all of those shows can be found on Facebook as well. Follow us on Twitter at WDTV Podcast and at HHWLOD underscore network. And so until there's no more room left in hell and the dead walk the earth, remember, we don't go to Ravenholm. And next week on The Walking Dead, spoiler, spoiler, warning, warning, the episode is entitled Arrow on the Doorpost. And the very short plot synopsis we have is Rick and the governor convene to create a peace treaty in hopes of preventing further deaths. And based on the clip they showed on Talking Dead, it is going to be a tense one, so I cannot wait. Have a good week, everybody. So long. Blood on the tracks, blood in the mine. Brothers and sisters, what a terrible time. Old 97 went in the wrong hole. Now in my number 60, there's blood on the Be a second or two behind everyone else's. I'm just noticing. Okay. Well, John, or er, er, sorry, Jim, call and response. Uh, Wiener Schnitzel. Schnitzel Gruben. Uh, das Boot. Jurgen Prochnow. Okay, that should be enough for me to sync it up. <laughs> Was ist this? Ich bin ein Berliner. I am a donut. Holy crap, I just realized I misspelled something on the website. I didn't put an apostrophe no. in the word ain't from last week. Uh, I need to fix that. I was going to guess Flossy Nazi Hello Philip occasion.
Two people, three eyes, one gun. Two girls, one cup, too. I'll cut that part out. <laughs> <laughs>